The title of our series is Fight Club. And uh, we are going to work in our fight club today. So, um, probably in this series, I'm going to tell a few stories of my own my own experience with conflict. And um, so I'm going to try to make it very generic, but sometimes I won't be able to, and you'll be go, oh, that's that. The point is that I'm just trying to give you illustrations on what is happening and um, not to point out anybody or anything in, uh, in conflict with me. Because sometimes it's very easy as a pastor to sometimes speak and everybody kind of interprets interprets what's been said as some, to somebody else. Um, the whole thing of speaking is uh, not for you to interpret <laughs> to somebody else, but in fact, allow the Spirit of God to speak to you. That was a good place to say amen. Um, okay, here we go. We're going to talk about fighting words. Fighting words. Um, the kingdom of God does not avoid conflict. Rather, it invites us to navigate conflicts in new ways. Modeled after the teaching and examples of Jesus. Now, according to Jesus, the kingdom of God is in conflict with the powers and principalities of this world. John chapter 12, verse 31. The kingdom creates conflict, sometimes even between blood relatives who do not share the same values. You'll find that in Matthew chapter 10, verse 35. The kingdom will lead us into conflict with broken people who are not yet submitted to Jesus. And you'll find that in John chapter 16, verse 33. The kingdom requires us to work through healthy conflict with other believers. And you find that in Matthew 18. And in order to participate in all of these kinds of struggles, we're turning our Sunday mornings into a fight club so we can practice getting better at conflict in a Christ-like way. So today, we're going to be looking at Psalm 37, my favorite psalm, especially about conflict that influences all the others, our speech. But before we go there, we have to go to James chapter 3, and uh, we need to read this. And so I'm going to read this from the Passion Translation, and um, starting at verse 5. And so the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it carries great power. Just think of how a small flame can set a huge forest ablaze. And the tongue is a fire. It can be compared to the sum total of wickedness and is the most dangerous part of our human body. It corrupts the entire body and is a hellish flame. It releases a fire that can burn through the course of human existence. For every wild animal on earth, including birds, creeping reptiles, and creatures of the sea and land have all been overpowered and tamed by humans. But the tongue is not able to be tamed. It is fickle, 
unrestrained evil that spews out words full of toxic poison. We use our tongue to praise our Father and then turn around and curse a person who is made in his very image. Out of the same mouth we can pour out words of praise one minute and curses the next. My brothers and sister, this should never be. Would you look for olives hanging on a fig tree or go pick figs from a grapevine? It is possible that fresh and bitter water can flow out of the same spring, so neither can bitter spring produce fresh water. You see, in order to navigate conflict in a healthy way, we first really have to address how we speak to one another. Choosing to use words that are life-giving is difficult but necessary if we want to follow Jesus in conflicts. If you want to mouth off and make a mess, just say whatever you want. If you want to fight like Jesus fights, you're going to have to control your tongue. Some people only control their tongue by biting it. They avoid saying the wrong thing by saying nothing at all. But doing this will not help you. This form of avoidance leads to a distance and pride and resentment. Instead, throw your hat in the ring and work towards speaking life-giving words. Words of life and words of honor do not keep you from conflict. They actually help you in the middle of conflict. You're going to fight with people who do not speak as honorably or as kind as you, and sometimes the work of being careful in your speech seems futile. If I can't say whatever I want, what's the point? Shouldn't I say whatever I'm feeling no matter what the consequences are? If I don't fight back, I'm going to get eaten alive. I don't know about you, but I think everyone in this room has been in that very situation. The occupation that the Lord gave me to be was a minister of the gospel. I think if I would have known back then when I, what I was asking for and what he was giving me, I think I would have given it back at times. Because sometimes dealing with people is difficult. And especially in ministry, I in the way we operate sometimes in church is we feel we have a right to tell the pastor what to do because we pay his salary. We have a right to get what he can offer because that's what we pay him for. And because it's free counseling, I can choose whether I want to follow it or not. When I don't like him, I can vote him out. <laughs> when he does something wrong, I can just avoid him. 
I, over my 30-some years of ministry, I've faced some very difficult conflicts in life. And sometimes when you're in constant conflict, it feels like that's all there is to life, is conflict. And you begin to wonder, well, what's wrong with me? Why is conflict all around me? I guess what I want to say to you today is conflict is healthy and conflict is necessary. And conflict will always be there. It's how we handle it and how we move in and through conflict to bring resolution is crucial to our Christian walk. The very thing that is happening is people are not only registering or interpreting what you're saying, they're also interpreting how you act, what your body language is, your history, your Facebook or Instagram or anything else you put out there. And you know, employers are, are looking through Facebooks. They're looking through Instagrams. And we're, we can throw conflict right out there in the middle of it because we think that I'm not going to get in trouble for that. But what we have found is that there's been a lot of trouble from the very aspects of things that we think we don't have to be responsible for. Now, this is why Psalm 37 helps us out. In the middle of stressful conflicts, especially ones where the other person is being unfair, you can trust that God will support you as you watch your words. So let's read it together. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version of Psalm 37. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Do not be envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. So, the very first thing we need to understand here is that God acts on your behalf during conflict. God acts on your behalf during conflict. There was one Passover that I, rem- I will always remember back in the previous church that I pastored. We were, having, we, were pr- we were celebrating Passover as a church, and so it was a family time, and, and Barb led the, the Passover meal, and we were finishing the meal, and we we're beginning to praise the Lord, and it was an evening service. Back then, we had Sunday morning and Sunday evening, so we did this for the evening service, and we had it in the fellowship hall. And cognizant of the fact that this was a wonderful time of celebrating Passover and teaching Passover because families brought their children. It was coming to the end of the service and we were praising the Lord. And so I was cognizant of that and understanding that this was now finishing the service and I was shutting it down. And all of a sudden I had a gentleman stand up and he he pointed his finger at me and he said, I am an oracle of God and you are quenching the Holy Spirit. He yelled it. He didn't quite say it like that. It was more in a yelling tone. Now, as 
pastor, I've, you know, I've had to deal with some different things, but all of a sudden, people with their children were starting to run for the door. Because <laughs> he started making a movement towards me, and you, I really didn't, you know, I was cognizant of a lot of things back then, but one was, I didn't do anything wrong, <laughs> and this man was totally out of line. My, uh, my board stood up and began to help me deal with the individual. And it kind of left in a very, after a very good, wonderful time in the Lord, people left very bitter, very upset. Um, because it kind of ruined the whole evening and ruined the service. They had... He had come a little bit more forward, and I told him, I said, no, sir, I am not out of line, and you are out of line. I didn't raise my voice. I just stated the fact. He and his wife uh, is, was also very um, boisterous. Uh, they began to praise the Lord. She, oh, she began to intercede because she thought this was a difficult time. He was right. I was wrong. And uh, it, it started to escalate. But as fast as it started, it stopped, and the gentleman left. And he never came back. Now, why, what does that have to do with the point? Here's the point. Is before the month came out, our church board had met, and we had talked about this incident, and before anything could happen, he had written a letter and explaining that he was wrong and that he was ashamed and he asked for forgiveness. He said that what had happened was he left the building and he went to a small group at another church and the leader of that looked at him and said, you have blood on your hands. You've risen up against the anointed. Not knowing anything that went on. He was caught in his own situation. He repented and then made it right. You see, the Lord does come and help us in and through and is part of the conflict all the way from the beginning to the end. It doesn't feel like it at the time because believe me, when someone's standing up and accusing you of being (laughs) something that you're not, the immediate reaction is to jump up and tell and explain yourself of why the other person is wrong. Now, I've gone through a number of different secular things of dealing with conflict, and in them they say that basically out of 90-some percent of conflicts, trying to change the person's view by educating them does not work. What does change sometimes in a conflict is, the very, is when you are asked a question about what you believe in the midst of a conflict. You realize that you now have to back up what you have to say, and it's not so sure. Church, the point I'm trying to make is, is that if we allow ourselves to quiet our heart and mind so we can sense his presence. We'll be able to understand 
the conflict is not just flesh and blood. It's difficult in the middle of the fight to find the presence of God. But if you do, you'll tap into a wellspring of strength that will make you bigger than your emotions or circumstances. The presence of God will, help, will not help you to feel right. The presence of God will not keep you from your anger or sadness. The presence of God will, will remind you how God loves them and how much he loves you. If you can delight in this, it becomes much easier to watch what you say. It's very, very difficult in the midst of something that all of a sudden blows up to experience and understand the presence of God. Because we associate the presence of God in this vernacular, in this setting, after we've praised and worshipped him, and we go, oh, it's such a wonderful environment and such a wonderful experience. But we find it hard when we go to the office, to our workplace, and try to experience what we have here in this room. Can I deviate a little bit here and say, you'll only understand, you'll only be able to cultivate what you're feeding your heart and life with. You see, the cultivation of his presence just doesn't happen in this room. It needs to happen all the time, every day, and some part of your day needs to be dedicated to understanding and cultivating his presence in your life so that you know what it looks like and what you're designing to have. Because in the midst of the present, in the midst of conflict, <laughs> your focus is on the conflict and really in the, the presence is something that you have to learn to know what it looks like in order to have it in the midst of something that's around you on the horizontal level. And so it's imperative that in the midst of conflict, we are also, we, we, are, we realize that God is, is in the midst of the conflict from beginning to end, but that we are also taking time to develop his presence in our lives each and every, one, each and every moment of our day. Let's continue reading. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and the justice of your cause. It's some, in, I've memorized this, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it only tends to evil. Number two, you're going to have to be patient to see your vindication. Yikes. Really? I got to wait? Sometimes that's the case. Those who fight dirty in conflict to get their cheap shots in, but you can endure them if you trust that God will inevitably vindicate you for the losses you've suffered. Refrain from anger. And forsake wrath means you do not let your anger dictate your speech. Or your, ang- or your actions. Well, that's really hard to do. 
Yes, it is. It again takes practice. Can I give you a little bit of help here? And that is sometimes this is a, this is a very difficult thing to walk through when you're in the midst of conflict. Because almost what you, anything you say, anything you do can be used against you in the court of someone else's mind. Church, we have to understand that God is and can and will look after you. If you find your own heart rising up in anger, it's crucial to not say anything that would get you into more trouble. Sometimes saying nothing is the best, best thing at the moment, but dealing with it needs to, can, needs to be brought through to its conclusion. Because if you don't, you leave yourself, as I said before, in the area of resentment and turmoil, and that begins to take, it, it's not focused on the conflict, it's focused on other people that are around you. You see, anger is a warning signal that you're feeling threatened or unjustly treated. But the warning light doesn't mean that you need to react. Imagine slamming on the brakes every time your car made a noise to alert you of low fuel. Or someone in your rearview camera. You definitely get into an accident. Take stock of those feelings and try to dig down to discover your needs. What are you needing when you are angry? If it was really down to bringing justice, does that, would that really work? Will that really take away the anger? 99.0% of the time, it doesn't. If someone was to step in and, say, and give a right and wrong, most of us sometimes in our, because we're, our values don't want to hurt other people, we go, well, that doesn't feel very good. I'm right, but I'm wrong. There, I've said this before. You can be dead right that you're dead wrong. <laughs> Come on, husband and wives, right? You can have a fight, and one person's a winner and the other person's a loser. Does that really bring harmony to the home? <laughs> Try it doesn't work, does it? You see, it's understanding what is it that's causing us to, and, and really we need to discover what our needs are because what is happening in the conflict is not so much that you're upset at what that person says, you're upset at yourself for how you feel. Fret not means not to act on fear either. As Yoda would say, fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, and hate leads to destruction. <laughs> That's a pretty good Yoda imitation. 
<laughs> Darth Vader didn't listen to that, and he almost destroyed the galaxy. Fear is another indicated, indicator that you're feeling vulnerable. Note this, note this and don't panic. Let's go on. Number three. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at, the, at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Number three. Meekness is the hidden path to increased authority. Meekness is the hidden path to increased authority. Meekness is restrained strength. You must first know how strong you are, and then you must hold yourself back. Meekness doesn't have to be, doesn't have a comeback. Meekness doesn't look to settle the score or win points. Meekness looks like weakness to those who are willing to say whatever they want to say. Sometimes we can get petty and vindictive. We figure out a way to put others in their place. We think of witty retort and save it until the next shouting match. This does us no good in the long run, and it cuts us off and keeps us from a greater influence. This might come natural to you. This might be a way you protect yourself, but curbing this desire and choosing another way is the better road. Restrain strength. Uh, Danny Silk puts it, that each of us are powerful people. You are a powerful person. And oftentimes when we're in the midst of, because we are familiar with the teaching, uh, the other person is just, be, we often associate our feelings because of what someone else does. So I feel angry because Shelley did this. Well, that makes Shelley a more powerful person because then she has been able to make me angry. Is that what Shelley... Does Shelley have that power? No. no. Shelley, no one, no one does. <laughs> the point is, is that when we feel ourselves going into this mode of protection and justice and those things that rise up inside of us, we have to start understanding ourselves that there is something here that needs to be dealt with. But there is an ability for us to hold back and do what is right and do what Jesus asked us to do. Number four. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to break, bring down the poor and needy, to slay those who is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. Here it is. Those who fight dirty eventually destroy themselves. Those that fight dirty 
tend to destroy themselves or eventually. You want another story? Story from my, my, con, my library of conflict. Um, when I was a younger minister, I felt that it was my duty to, well, it was, it, I guess it is still, but um, there was something that took place. Um, we were, back then we did annual meetings and all of a sudden, um, my secretary at the moment stood up in the meeting and asked a simple question of the treasurer. She asked, um, what is the food bank money used for? Now, I'm going to give you a background to the question. This lady looked after the food bank. Not the food bank. Yes, it was, yes, food bank. Sorry. Different church, not, not Gina, but, um, okay. I have food bank on my mind. No, sorry, it wasn't food bank, it was petty cash, okay? In, back in those days, there's sometimes, as ministers, we needed petty cash to take someone else out for, for coffee or whatever, and she stood up and said, well, what is petty cash used for? And she knew because she looked after the petty cash, she knew what it was used for, she knew why it was used, and knew how much money was there. So the question was somewhat of a, what was trying to happen is she was trying to create a conflict. Um, so uh, the next week I asked her into my office and we sat down and had a, had a talk and all of a sudden I, I brought this up. I said, you know, um, the question that you asked at the annual meeting, you knew the answer to, so why did you ask it? She said, because. <laughs> Not a good, like for me, you can say because when you're five years old, right? <laughs> um, and I said, well, really, I, I said, I, I, and I, I began to just, the Bible calls that a little bit of strife. You're bringing up strife among the brothers, brethren. And immediately she grabbed her head and moaned in pain. And uh, I, I thought I killed her. I'm trying to be funny here, but I really, I didn't know what was happening. She was grabbing her head and moaning in pain, and then she left the, uh, my office and went into the main office, and she started taking the keys off her key ring and slamming them on the counter. And I said, listen, we should really talk about this, because I'm just wanting to talk to you about the motivation and why that happened, because there's obviously a problem here. She again hold, held her head like she had a major migraine. I said, can I call your husband? No. And she went out to her car and stayed there for a number of minutes. I then phoned some board members and said, I think there's, you're going to get a few phone calls here. Um, this lady then proceeded to, well, she obviously quit. Um, and then she left the church at the same time. And I'm going, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. 
Well, I decided that I would try to rectify the situation and bring some kind of conclusion to it. And so I asked a couple of board members to go with me to go visit her. I phoned her up. I said, may I come to visit with you to your house with a couple of board members? She said yes. So we went to her home. I proceeded to apologize. Now, here it, here it is. You can say sorry for something you didn't do. Okay? I apologize how you felt, if how I came across made you feel. She then said, okay, but you need to admit that you were verbally abusing me. I said, I'm sorry, I can't admit to something that I did not do. Now, I want to tell you, I've been accused of verbal abuse, spiritual abuse, a number of different <laughs> emotional abuse. I've, I've faced it all. So, in the midst of this, she said, you need to admit that you verbally abused me. And I said, I'm sorry, I can't do that because I did not do that. And she said, furthermore, you're only here because these men are making you here. Of which both of them said, no, he asked us to come. We're here because the pastor asked if we could come. Immediately her tone changed, her whole tender switched, and she was now caught. She realized that what she was doing was wrong. And you see, that's what happens when we begin to allow... Well, you can allow someone to take place and do all of their dirty work or to try to walk in a different spirit. You have to understand that those people will face the consequences of how they're walking. Now, am I, am I happy about all that? No. Did I want... Was I setting her up? No. I, what I was trying to do was to bring... I realized that there was in the first in the first um, interaction with her, that she was getting something different than I was laying down. And because of that, I needed to have someone else. I followed Matthew 18. You bring someone with you. And when you, when, when you follow through with how God desires for you to follow things through, it wasn't to trip her up. It was to just bring the truth out. And the truth came out. You see, people who fight dirty eventually destroy themselves. You see, it's not always them. It's the spirit within them that's doing the work. And that spirit will reveal itself and turn inward and destroy life. You see, this is how God judges those who do not act fairly in conflict. Inevitably, their own brokenness turns against them. And those who live by the sword die by the sword. Bringing in conflict with you is a form of, sorry, being in conflict with you and me is a form of mercy towards them. If you are going to watch what you say, then prepare yourself in advance to feel like you've lost the argument, which is exactly what I did. I came into the situation as the loser. 
Barb often says, would you rather be right or be in relationship? This, is not, this doesn't mean that you can't articulate your feelings or express your pain. This does not mean you do not hold them responsible for their words or actions. It does mean that you are foregoing that glorious feeling that when you've cut them down and conquered them. The people who do not feel, the people who do that feel great for a little while, and then they don't change and they die alone. Using your words like weapons is a quick way to kill all hope of having a real relationship with people. Is this okay? Am I? Are you? Uh, Hope it's, uh, you're using it well here. Uh, jumping down to verse 23. The steps of a righteous man are established by the Lord. When he delights in his way, though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong. For the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young and now I'm old, yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever. Number five, just because you're trying to say the right thing doesn't mean you won't slip from time to time. I've messed up a number of times. You see, I think I've told you this before. Uh, I've read about the Enneagram. I know who I am in my motivations, my number. It's... The Enneagram's not of the devil. It's just a personality uh, thing, okay? Just want to clear that because even here in this illustrious uh, municipality, people think the Enneagram is of the devil. It's not. Um, it's just a personality thing, a personality tool. So I'm a nine, and nines avoid conflict. So for me, when a nine... I will turn away from, like, I've talked to you about my conflicts because I've had them. Even as a nine, I've tried to run away and they hit me. But the thing is, is that as a nine, you tend to avoid conflict. But also as a nine, when you have to hit conflict, you can be quite explosive. Because in the Enneagram, they are part of the anger triad. There's three in the anger triad. Ones, nines, and eights. So, my wife is a one. I'm a nine. There's a bit of anger in our home. But the thing is, is that sometimes I have felt that I have been unjust or someone has treated me unjustly, and I've gone to bat for myself, only to discover that I've had to do more. I've realized that I was on the wrong side of things. Why? Because I have judged someone else's motives in the effort to find justice. I have played judge and jury to the other person, and quite frankly, when you're in the midst of conflict, you can't do that. 
You can't play judge and jury because you don't know what they are thinking. Because sometimes what they say and how they say it can be two different things. Oftentimes I've said this and Barb goes, you, are you trying to get me angry? I mean, it's different. Now, she's not here to defend herself, so I have to be careful. Um, I'm paraphrasing what she would say, but I sometimes come across, I mean, I'm coming, I think I'm coming across this way, and she takes me this way. I don't know. How many guys can we go there, right? You've said one thing, and you think you're doing it this way, and she's taking you to the other side of the coin, and you're going, how did we get there? Okay? So there are times, and you get to this, and you have to give yourself some slack. You're going to try your best. You're going to mess up from time to time. And this doesn't mean the work of improving your speech is a failed project. The important thing is to commit to the process. You must get better at this. You will not be an expert overnight. Get other people to trust that you trust to help you. Invite your spouse to call on you when you're speaking with heartless or vindictive motives. I have, Barb and I have this agreement that when I get to my place, that I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm doing my thing. She's allowed to say, Kendall, you're doing your thing. Okay? And I have to go. And I'm in, in the middle of my thing. I don't think I'm doing my thing. Okay? It's like, I'm just trying to communicate. I'm just trying to say something. But apparently I'm doing my thing. Right? So I have to take a step back and trust her that what she is saying, she is seeing correctly, and then I have to look at my own life. You know, it's not a bad thing to do with your uh, significant other and uh, to try to understand and to give each other grace. Be gracious with yourself. You are under the tutelage of Jesus. Wax on, wax off. That's an old movie. You're going to trip and try to talk about your emotions. You're going to revert back to the old ways of making accusations. Keep at it. You'll get better. And God will pick you up when you stumble. And everybody said, the, 30, the mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and the tongue speaks justice. The law of God is in his heart. He steps, his steps do not slip. The wicked watches the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land and you will look on when the wicked are cut off. I've seen the wicked, the ruthless man, spreading himself like a green laurel tree, but he passes away. And behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace. But transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. The Lord, he delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Number six. Peaceful speech gives you a future. Eventually, God uses your commitment to a higher form of conflict to bring you to a greater favor. 
David says, the Lord will not abandon you to his power. Meaning God will not leave you as a victim of other people's speech. The goal of watching your language in conflict is not to figure out how to become a masterful debater who can perfectly express themselves. The goal is to watch God show up in the middle of your moment and bring reconciliation. Because that's the ultimate, is seeing the conflict begin to form a greater bond of connection. When you watch your language, you create space for God to speak. This will take patience and consistency. And sometimes you might have to face the same fight more than once before God intervenes. You see, Jesus was a masterful at conflict. He knew what he really wanted to say, and he used patience and presence to speak carefully before his accusers. So, let's get into the ring. I don't know if we have cards. We don't. So, we don't have cards today, but here, listen to the Holy Spirit and think of a recent occasion where you let your tongue go wild. Could have been this morning. Can you think of an instance when you, where you controlled your speech by just, by just not saying anything? Okay, so here's tools. Quickly. Hands. Everybody take your hands. Okay. Put them up towards heaven. Like this. Okay. When you're in conflict with someone... Sit with your palms open and face up on your lap. Means if you're at the table, they go underneath so that people, you know, because all of us here in this room will go, you start talking to each other and we're going like this to each other. Okay? That'll seem a little awkward. But there's a purpose for that. Okay? When you're in conflict with someone, sit with your palms open And face up on your lap underneath the table. It's hard to be aggressive and reactionary when your hands are open. Number two, second tool, the pregnant pause. When you are asked a question, take five full seconds before you try to respond. Five seconds. It can even be longer if you want. You may want to raise your hand or gently open your mouth to let the other person know you need a second. Right? So you just go, when they're fighting with you, you just go. Because then they know that you're about to say something and you can take, you can take some moments to, to talk. Now, this sounds really like I'm giving you some very basic tools, but you have to understand that sometimes we, when we are in the midst of the battle of a conflict, and there are some really some tools that help awaken us to doing it properly, 
will help us to formulate new patterns and new ways rather than just reactionary to the, the feeling that we are feeling. So, make sure you don't use this to manipulate them. You're not trying to slow the fight to your pace. You're just using this to speak more carefully and thoughtfully. Okay? Third tool, naming emotions. Emotions you try to ignore or hide in a conflict will still come out through your body language. Passive-aggressive remarks and through a slip of the tongue. Start by speaking directly about your feelings to those feelings, to those feelings so they don't drive you off a cliff. Okay? So, what I mean by that is you have to be able to, and this is very difficult, because when you're in the midst of the conflict, the immediate thing is you want to go to judge and jury and sentence, right? You want to tell them where they're wrong, that they are wrong, and they need to now grovel. Maybe you don't, does anybody not fight like that? The thing is, is that we have to understand that there are, how you, how you communicate at this point is crucial. Because if you jump to those steps, you will end up in a never-ending, and what, what has been called in a marriage book, called a cycle. A treadmill cycle that gets you on a thing that gets the conflict roaring and escalating. It's called a crazy cycle. I tell this to, to husbands and wives all the time is you can know how to push each other's buttons and you get on a crazy cycle. And the more you respond, you respond in each other's things and you get more and more agitated and more and more problem and it just escalates. And then you've got to go, you either leave the room or it gets really, really difficult. Because the con- what's happening on the crazy cycle isn't necessarily what started the conflict. You've gone to that crazy thing. And sometimes when Barb and I are in it, I've gone, I've said, we're on a crazy cycle here. I'm I'm just going to step off this treadmill. And let's start this again. It's not a bad thing to do to all of a sudden realize where you are and allow it and start the conversation over again. But why I was saying all that is you have to be able to, at, the, at that point, be able to express yourself, express what emotions are happening in you. It's not, I'm angry because. Because what happens is you're giving the because the reason for the anger. You have to express your emotions and state facts. Not your judgment. So, you can say, I feel angry right now. I am upset. I feel anxious. I feel afraid. Clarify that you are not holding them responsible to your feelings, but you are putting them out there to have a better handle on what comes next out of your mouth. It can work well with your children. I am feeling anxious right now. You are telling me that you are going to do this, this, this. 
Instead of, you're doing this, 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 because, I'm angry because you're doing this, 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 this. Well, all of a sudden, you've now slammed the door, and how do you bring reconciliation with that? Because next week, we're going to talk about how you take those feelings and be able to talk them out properly without their, the aspect of getting defensive. There is something about when, when in the midst of conflict, when you begin to express yourselves of where you're at, it opens the other person up to express where they're at. That's the first step in reconciliation. Because what you're reading sometimes from what's being said, body language is saying totally the opposite thing. And when you'll be able to express yourself of your feelings, then you can come to an understanding how that what happened with those feelings. Barbara and I have a tool that we we brought the boxes in. How many remember the boxes? Okay. That means the boxes need to come back. They're not, they're not Christmas boxes or <laughs> blacking boxes. <laughs> Their last name is boxes, okay? Steve and Lorraine Box have this tool of being able to listen, a listening exercise where the person expresses themselves and you then repeat back what has been said. Oftentimes, it's in the midst of what's being said that the judge and jury creeps its ugly head up. So when you're in the midst, after you've expressed your feelings, then the other person, and you can do this at home with your spouse, this is what I heard you say. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Is that correct? Then you have to, then the other person goes, no, 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 no. No, you say, if they say no, then you ask them to express it again. So that the exact in, in, uh, intention is brought up to bear. Because sometimes it's the intention of knowing the other person's heart that brings rest, reconciliation and restoration to a relationship. <laughs>